Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Do the Texas Longhorns have the best roster in college football? Urban Meyer came on this very platform, the On3 YouTube channel, and gave his thoughts on their roster and where it stands in the rest of college football. So we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. We have a ton to get into. The transfer portal continues to roll on. We talk about it here nearly every single show because people are moving and shaking and finding new homes. A lot of big names, I believe, are very close to finding where they'll be playing college football next season. Going to break that down for you in its entirety. There's a narrative out there that the college football playoff needs to expand for the betterment of the sport. That narrative has since come to reality as we're going to have the college football playoff expand in 2024. But with that being said, while we still have the four-team playoff existing right now, what if I told you there were some college football playoff games going on in the first month of the season? You don't need to look to November. Don't need to look to conference championship weekend. Those are great weekends to look to in terms of impactful games. But in the month of September, we got one, two, three, four college football playoff games that I'm going to tell you about, and I very much so hope that we will be at with myself and Nick Brake when those games happen. But we got a lot to talk about. Like I mentioned, Peyton Thorne. Last show concluded, and then moments later, Peyton Thorne decides he's going to Auburn. It was very kind of him to wait till we got off the air to make that announcement. And that's a big get for Auburn. You and I both know they now have their quarterback for the 2023 season, or all signs point to it at least. What happens now for Auburn? What is the actual impact of this? We'll talk about that. Very fired up to have you along with us. A lot of things you could be doing on your Tuesday morning. We're glad to have you here on the On3 YouTube channel. Nick, Brake, Lift, and Heavy, this is your place for every single thing that you and I both know and love about college football. I'll just let this sink in really quick. We don't play college football games, at least, for another 110-plus days. And right now, you're tuned in to a college football show. We're tuned into to a college football podcast, and it's the month of May. You're a sicko for this game. We're sickos for this game. We're glad to have you here. We waste no more time. Let's jump into it. The transfer portal continues to roll on. A couple of big names are very close to finding a home, one of which we thought might end up at Auburn, but quarterback Casey Thompson was at Texas a couple years ago, was at Nebraska last year, and now it looks like he may be headed to Florida Atlantic. And I think this is making all the sense in the world. When you look at the transfer portal and how it continues to turn, I think about the transfer portal in relation to quarterbacks like a game of musical chairs. Like you got to find your chair before everybody else finds their chair, before that music stops, meaning there's no more chairs left. And for Casey Thompson, it looked like he maybe wanted the chair at Auburn. Peyton Thorne ended up getting that chair. And as the music sort of starts to die down and gets a little bit softer, we're nearing closer and closer to summer ball or summer camp, rather summer conditioning and then fall camp where you actually start playing football. You got to find a spot and remember who's at Florida Atlantic, his former head coach, Tom Herman. 
Remember, they were together at Texas. And even when Casey Thompson was starting under Steve Sarkeesian, there were a lot of people with loud voices in the back row saying, yeah, but he's Tom Herman's guy. Yeah, he's a better fit with Tom Herman's system. Well, now, no more spring practice to be had. What better place to end up than at a place where you have your head coach you're familiar with, you already know the system, and you have one year left? New management at FAU with Tom Herman being a first-year head coach there? He's going to bring in people that he trusts. Casey Thompson, somebody you would imagine he trusts. Sounds like he may be taking a visit there here pretty soon. I 1 million percent expect Casey Thompson to end up at FAU. We talked about it on a one-off video the other day. But for Casey Thompson, this is all about putting together the best resume for the National Football League. He's done the Power 5 thing. You can look at that tape if you want to. He's been dinged up throughout his career. But let's just say he goes to FAU and plays in the G5 and just puts up numbers. I think that's what this year is about for Casey Thompson. Being a big fish in a somewhat smaller pond, good for Casey Thompson, and good for Tom Herman and FAU getting a Power 5 level quarterback his first year running the show there. So I think that's a fit, and again, I think that's going to happen. Make sure you subscribe right here to the On3 YouTube channel. We talk college football every single day. We appreciate y'all being tuned in. Also, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram at JD Pakel. Another big name that is on the move here is former Michigan State wide receiver Keon Coleman. Now, Keon Coleman took an official visit this past weekend to Florida State. Talked to people that have followed that recruitment closely. They feel like Florida State is in good position right now. I've said this before. If, if Keon Coleman goes to Florida State... You just got a couple of skyscrapers lined up out wide for the Knowles. And Jordan Travis can just throw 50-50 ball after 50-50 ball and feel pretty good about his guy's chances to come down with it. Because you got Jaheim Bell playing tight end who's about six foot three. You got another reserve tight end who's about six foot seven. You got Johnny Wilson, who I, I always embellish his height every single time we talk about him just because it's fun to say. But really he's like six foot seven. Okay. He's a wide receiver. He's six foot seven. That's freakish. You got Keon Coleman, who's six foot three, can go up and get the rock like nobody's business. You can then play bully ball if you're Florida State on the outside. It's a very big deal. But also, it sounds like he's taken an official visit to Ole Miss here this week. Now, for Ole Miss, this would make a lot of sense for Keon Coleman because their top two receivers from a season ago have now gone to the league. So a whole lot of production that needs to be accounted for for Ole Miss and Keon Coleman trying to put together some solid tape for his draft stock to continue to improve. Also play in the SEC. There's no reservations about what you do if you are successful in that conference because you're playing against some of the top talent in the country and guys that will likely also end up being drafted soon. So that legitimizes your prospects even further. My one concern about Ole Miss is they're primarily a rushing offense if they stick true to what they did a season ago. I'm just curious to see how that plays out, how that factors in. I mean, it was the academies and then Ole Miss in terms of how frequently they ran the football. So it's not necessarily an aired out kind of offense like you might see at Florida State, but you would definitely get the lion's share of the targets and receptions if you're Keon Coleman. So keep an eye on that. Here's what I would say about Keon Coleman. I don't think this is the last visit we're going to see from him. Conventional wisdom would tell you if it is NIL fueled. And again, I believe it is. I have no reason to believe it's not. If NIL is a big part of Keon Coleman's recruitment, rather, then you would expect to at least, you know, play the field a little bit. Kind of see what else is out there. Maybe see who else is in the Keon Coleman sweepstakes. So we'll leave it at that. I think there's more visits on the way for Keon Coleman, but visited Florida State, is visiting Ole Miss, makes all the sense to be at both those places in terms of Keon Coleman getting 
some production and improving his draft stock. So Keon Coleman's teammate, Peyton Thorne, former Michigan State quarterback, found his home with the Auburn Tigers. We're going to break this down a little bit more in depth a little bit later in the show. But the biggest thing for me with Peyton Thorne and Auburn, the marriage makes sense because it gives Auburn direction. Robbie Ashford, I love Robbie Ashford. I love his response to Peyton Thorne transferring in and him tweeting out like, hey, iron sharpens iron, let's work, War Eagle, I'm here. And also Robbie Ashford not transferring out before Peyton Thorne got there when everybody and their mother knew that somebody was probably transferring in to Auburn to be a quarterback there. Um, but going back to Peyton Thorne, quick processor, good leader, a lot of experience. You just get some steady hands on the wheel for Auburn. And for Peyton Thorne, gets a chance to be, in my opinion, a more quarterback-friendly offense than what he was at at Michigan State. This is a great fit. It gives Auburn direction. It helps Peyton Thorne's career. I think we'll see him play better football, like I've already told you before, than what we saw from him at Michigan State, just by nature of the system. Now, one name that's kind of sneaky that jumped in the portal and that's also headed to Auburn is former Ohio State wide receiver Caleb Burton. Now, Caleb Burton was a four-star guy in the 2022 cycle. And I'll just say this about Caleb Burton or any Ohio State wide receiver that does end up hitting the portal at any point in time. Just because you weren't the guy as a freshman at Ohio State doesn't mean you can't ball. Caleb Burton, about 5'11", 170 pounds. If you were good enough to go to Ohio State, you're good enough to make some noise other places. I mean, it's a crowded wide receiver room. We all know that. So the opportunity for him, I think, is to step into a place at Auburn that doesn't have a ton of options in that wide receiver room, especially at the slot position with Tavares Dawson hitting the portal. Caleb Burton, I think, could help Auburn this year. I don't think you got to wait around and develop him and, and find a role for him. Like, I think he's a guy that can help you in 2023. Really technical route runner. Again, I think he fits in the slot. I keep going back to this. Just because you didn't play at Ohio State doesn't mean you can't ball. The most extreme example of that is Jamison Williams. He's in the league now. Did his thing at Alabama for one year. So keep an eye on Caleb Burton. I'm not saying he's Jamison Williams, but I am saying that's a big pickup, a sneaky big pickup for the Auburn Tigers. We'll stay in that slot wide receiver position. We'll talk about Micah Pittman, who was at Florida State and surprised a lot of people when he announced he was jumping into the portal. Because remember, Micah Pittman, one of the most productive wide receivers on that roster in 2021, did a lot of good things for that team. Uh, excuse me, in 2022, rather, was really productive. 330 yards, three touchdowns, 32 catches. He was a contributor in a very real way for them. Got hip surgery over the offseason, it sounds like. You hope he's able to be healthy by the time fall gets rolling here. It sounds like he will be. He's gritty, man. I really like the fit here for Utah. Ends up going to Utah. I should have probably said that at the jump. Uh, Micah Pittman's transferring to Utah, and he's going to be a good fit there. Going back to the West Coast, he's from California, played his high school ball in Calabasas, gritty wide receiver, going to fit in the slot. There's some production now to be made up for at Utah. I mean, Dalton Kincaid is going to Nick Brakes, Buffalo Bills, was a first-round pick. So he's not the same kind of player as Dalton Kincaid, obviously, with Dalton Kincaid being you know that big target for you. He's a mismatch problem, but still, a guy that plays in the slot, a guy that's going to have to make up for some production that was lost, and another weapon for Cam Rising. As Utah, one of those teams, man, it feels like every offseason, they're not the big brand like USC is. They don't have the same shine as some of those other Pac-12 schools do, like an Oregon or a Washington. But listen, man, Utah's the back-to-back -back Pac-12 champs in convincing fashion, and they bring back their quarterback. So another weapon for him, again, Micah Pittman is headed to Salt Lake to be a U. Last one I want to talk about here, Traquan Fagans, cornerback, 
was formerly at Alabama, a four-star guy in the 2022 cycle, is headed to USC. And I have a similar policy that I talk about with Caleb Burton at Ohio State and, and Ohio State wide receivers as I do defensive backs at Alabama and Georgia. If you're good enough to go play corner for Nick Saban, if he wants you on his team to be a defensive back, you're good enough for me, man. You're good enough to come play on my team. Because I tell you what, Nick Saban, the defensive back room, those are his babies now. Like, he, he takes extra pride in what that secondary does. And Traquan Fagan's a guy who is verified at us here at On3 at the high school level with six foot. Now you go look at Alabama, and his roster height has him at six foot two. So there's a lot of jokes to be had about what Alabama was doing for their roster heights and measurements, but whatever it ends up being. Either way you slice it, he's a six-foot-plus corner, fits really well in modern college football, the way that you got to match up with these big wide receivers. And regardless of how tall you want to say he is, he's a fit for this defense. And you're going to play against really good quarterbacks for USC. I mean, you look at the schedule. Sam Hartman from Notre Dame, Bo Nix at Oregon, Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. Like, the work is cut out for you if you're a secondary player at USC. So you had some more talent, add a guy who's seen some things in the SEC. I know he's young, but I really like that get for Lincoln Riley. And anytime you get somebody from Saban's roster, I think that's addition by addition. So a lot of big names on the move, a lot of big names close to finding a home. We'll keep an eye on Casey Thompson and Keon Coleman's recruitment. But uh, a lot of schools getting rich through the portal right now. And all your names are now in there outside of grad transfers. So we'll keep an eye on some of these guys as they get closer to finding a home. But a lot of these big-time names are going to make some noise at new destinations in 2023. Next time we get on here, man, we probably got to talk about transfer portal winners and losers. It's probably about that time. A lot of these big names will probably have found a home. So maybe we'll do that on the Thursday show. But uh, appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. Go ahead and throw a like on the video. It just helps us. It helps us do more of what you want to see. Uh, if you listen on podcast. Give us a five-star review. It helps us that way as well. And again, it's May. We're talking college football in May, and you're tuned in. I promise you, we're cut from the same cloth here. So welcome to the community of just college football sickos. We love you. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Texas right now. We'll talk about the Longhorns because Urban Meyer is someone that we are very fortunate to have on this YouTube channel at different points throughout the college football calendar year. Did an off-season Urban's take, which is what his appearances are typically called on this channel, with Tim May from Letterman Row, our Ohio State on three site. And they got to talking just general college football. And it was fascinating. Started talking about the rosters that are best set up for success. And Urban Meyer sort of interjects to what is being said during that conversation and almost abruptly says, wait, you, you can't forget about Texas. And he goes on to say, I think Texas has one of the best rosters in college football. I'm just pausing for dramatic effect there. I'm just making sure that you were able to process fully what was just said. Urban Meyer said that Texas has one of the best rosters in college football. And here's the thing, folks. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. And I think it was most eye-opening when I went and posted on Inside Texas, our Texas on three site. Went and posted on there. I said, Hey, Urban Meyer said this. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. And I was expecting to get a little bit more of a positive response. But instead, I got met with a lot of gifs of people being like, oh, boy, here we go. We got to talk about this. And when you take a deeper look, I think Urban Meyer is 100% correct. But the reason why Texas fans are a little bit slow to get excited about this is because they've heard this before. 
I'll, I'll kind of reset this conversation. Texas absolutely has one of the best rosters in college football. Just purely from a talent standpoint, one of the best rosters in college football. Since 2019, according to the On3 industry rankings, they have not recruited outside of the top 10, but one time. One time since 2019, they've been outside the top 10 in terms of recruiting classes. So what does that tell you? They recruit top talent. Also, they've had some key portal additions. Queen Ewers from Ohio State, A.D. Mitchell from Georgia. They've had some big-time ballers come and join them at the 40 Acres. So you look at the way this roster is shaping up, you say, yeah, probably one of the most talented rosters in college football. Now, is it the best roster in college football? Which, again, Urban Meyer did not say they were the best. He said they were one of the best, which is a true statement. Are they the best roster in college football? I don't know. Probably not. You probably lean more towards a Georgia or towards an Ohio State or towards Alabama, those teams that have recruited, you know, number one classes over the last couple of years with Alabama recruiting the top class last year. But the, here's the thing with, with Texas fans. Here's the reason why Texas fans are a little bit slower to get on this train and, and why they're not getting excited about hearing this. Because this is off-season talk, right? It's off-season talk. To be talented is phenomenal. But Texas has heard how talented they are for the last 10 years. And they're saying, okay, what do we really have to show for it? What do we have in terms of continual consecutive years or we're you know, playing for New Year's Six Bowls every single year? That's where the frustration sinks in. Because to be fair to Texas fans, the talent translating to wins, that's fair for them to be frustrated. And that's been the conversation around Texas. So Texas fans are saying, it's not a question of if we're talented enough. The question is, can we put it together? And the second piece of that is, is the necessary culture in place to win consistently how we want to win? Talent is great. We'll take talent all day, every day. And we've got a lot of great talent here on the 40 Acres, but that's not new to us. We want to translate that talent into winning football games. So I got some thoughts on this and we'll unpack it together. But make sure you're subscribed right here on through YouTube channel. We talk college football every single day. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all for it. Also, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram at JD Paquel. So I want to set the stage here a little bit in the context of what Georgia and Bama do. Like when we think about Alabama and Georgia, what do we think of? Tons of talent, yeah, definitely true. They recruit as well as anybody. But what's the real draw to Alabama and to Georgia? It's the way they do things. It's their standards. It's their culture. That's the thing that Texas is now after. And that's the question. That's going to be the determining factor for Texas in 2023. It's not a talent thing. You got one of the most talented quarterbacks in the country. Is he going to be able to translate this coming season? Is he going to be comfortable enough and able to do the things you're asking him to do in 2023? And I think what it comes down to is the standards that Alabama and Georgia has, is Texas able to replicate that and kind of have their own version of that? And I think it gets distilled down to three key things. The first pillar is development. That's great. We got a five-star kid. Can we make him a five-star player for us at the collegiate level? Five-star at the high school level is awesome. It means you were a freak show. It means you project really well to the NFL. It means that you did a lot of good things in the high school level, but are you a five-star player at the collegiate level? That's what we have to do. That's on us as a program now to develop you physically and also to develop you from a football perspective, to put you in position to succeed. Development, Georgia and Alabama do that really well. Texas, are they able to do that? We're going to see this coming season. Second, the second pillar, the second piece of this, competitive excellence. And this is a term that is maybe a little bit more coach speak, but I promise you it is 1,000% true and needs to be talked about with Texas. Because competitive excellence, what Georgia and Bama do so well, how many times have you seen Nick Saban 
after a blowout win, take the podium and just seem frustrated, right? Just seems kind of annoyed. Just gives an elite post-game press conference speech after they just blew out whoever 45 to 10. It's because Nick Saban isn't worried about the opposition. He's worried about his standards. Are we meeting my, are we meeting the standard internally that we set for ourselves? That's going to be the difference for Texas is the standard internally set to where it needs to be. That's competitive excellence. That's what Texas needs to have in place to go along with the talent. Because when standards and talent marry up to where you want them to be, that's when really good things happen. That's when you start to play for what you want to play for. That's when you build a program, not just a good team, not a good recruiting class, an operation that can win consistently. And the final pillar here is competitive stamina. It's great to develop. It's great to have standards. But is there the competitive stamina to do it week in and week out? We see the same Texas team week in and week out. That's what competitive stamina would look like. Hey, we beat the brakes off Baylor. Then we go beat the brakes off Oklahoma. Then we go beat the brakes off Kansas State. And our approach does not change. We, we don't get caught up in the headlines. We don't be, get caught up in the rankings. We are the same team week in and week out or as close to that as possible. And I'll, say, I'll tell you this, that is a hard thing to do. This game is unforgiving. It is physical. It takes a toll on you mentally. There is a lot baked into this game that will wear you down if you don't have the competitive stamina internally to roll with it and to embrace it. And to attack it. Those are all things you have to do. So development, competitive excellence, competitive stamina are all things now that are going to take Texas's talent and translate it into wins. And for Texas and for, and for Alabama and Georgia, like these, these pillars I'm talking about, it's not a rule book. It's not, it's not a code of conduct. It's not like, you know, team rules. There's definitely team rules that probably help promote this. But what this is for, for Georgia and for Bama previously it's who they are. I remember clear as day talking to Darnell Washington at the college football national title media day. And I asked him, hey, Georgia seems like they just have something different going on. Like, like what makes Georgia so different from other programs right now? He talked about falling back on their DNA traits. He didn't go specifically into what they were, but I have a hard time believing that they don't include competitive excellence, competitive stamina. That's who you are. It's, it's not a, we decide to be this thing. It's no, that's, that's just who we are. We wake up out of bed and that's what we do. It's ingrained in us. And the funny thing about that now, once you buy into that, once you build that up, once that talent marries up with that competitive stamina, that competitive excellence, that development, well, then you got something that's, that's built to last. Then you got something that can go and you can take on the road and you can win anywhere and you start to win consistently. That's the funny thing now. Winning consistently, that, that attracts talent. I believe that's why Georgia and Bama continue to recruit as well as they have. Because think about Bama now, too. And I don't mean to compare Texas to Bama consistently, but I think it's a fair comp right now with what we're talking about. Think about Nick Saban and how many coordinators he's had over the last couple of years there. I mean, it seems like a revolving door. Still, kids want to come play for Bama. Why? Because of Nick Saban. Because of Nick Saban, yes, but because of his process, because of the way that he is getting these kids developed and then winning consistently. It doesn't matter who's calling the plays. They're winning how they want to win. You're seeing the same thing at Georgia now starting to take place. The coordinators are going to be a little bit less stable. Kirby Smart, he's the draw. Nick Saban, he's the draw. For Steve Sarkeesian, his process he's putting into place now, that has to be the draw for Texas to win how they want to win. And so I'm excited to see it because... 
the reality is for Texas, we're going to get to see how far along this team is as a program. The talent is there. Urban Meyer's not lying to you, man. Urban Meyer knows more about football than you and I will probably ever forget. He knows what he's talking about here. This is a very talented roster. But that's the thing, man. Texas has been talented for a long time. Is the culture, are the standards, is the development, excellence, stamina, competitively in place? We get to find, we get to find out this coming season. I'm very excited for that because in year three, this is where we find out how much Quinn Ewers has progressed, how much that culture has progressed. Year one, you're kind of cleaning it out. You're kind of trying to get down to, you know, what do we have here that's good? Year two, you're trying to build it up, get back to neutral. Year three now, we see what's under the hood. Should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. But Texas, do they have one of the most talented rosters, one of the best rosters in college football? Better believe it. You absolutely better believe it. Shout out everybody locked into the chat right now. Here's the deal. We go to the chat in just a few minutes here. I want to hear from you all, so get your college football or non-college football questions in right now. Nick Brake, Keeper of the queue, is going to join us here in just a few short minutes, and you getting those questions in right now helps us answer them more effectively, more efficiently. So thank you in advance for that. But go ahead and jump in there and shoot us your questions, and we'll get after it. So here's the deal. College football playoff is going to expand in the not-too-distant future. You know it and I know it. You don't have to be happy about it. I'm not happy about it, but I promise you I will watch the heck out of every single game. When it does get here, it's good for business. Another conversation for another time. I got my own feelings about that. But with the college football playoff still at four games this coming season, I'm here to tell you there's more than just four playoff games. There's more than just those playoff, or excuse me, four playoff teams, more than just, I guess, yeah, three playoff games when it comes to that point in time. Took a look at the schedule, and I'm here to tell you, I think there's four college football playoff games in the month of September. In the month of September, four games that I think are going to drastically change these teams' fortunes when it comes to what they are playing for at the end of the season. So without further ado, let's take a look at week one. On a Sunday, September 3rd, in Orlando, we got LSU and we got Florida State. Remember this game last year? Florida State won, blocking the extra point, never say die. Mike Norvell and the boys find a way to get it done, and that was when we all kind of got introduced to Mike Norvell's version of Florida State. And a loss for either team in this scenario, you have to be perfect the rest of the way. Because LSU, they still have to go to Ole Miss. They have to go to Alabama. They have to deal with the rest of an SEC schedule. Should they end up in Atlanta again? They got to play somebody in, in the SEC title game. Like, it is an absolute gauntlet for LSU the rest of the way. Dropping a game to Florida State does not set you up for success. Same thing with Florida State. They have to go to Clemson. We'll talk about that here later in a little bit. Spoiler. But who knows what the rest of the ACC is going to be, man. It's college football, the best game in the entire world. It is so difficult to speak in absolutes with 18-year-olds playing the game. Like, we just don't know who's going to show up week in and week out. We don't know what the SEC is going to be just yet. Heck, Duke was good last year. How about the Dukes, man? Uh, Florida State, this is a very big game for them. Both these teams have college football playoff aspirations, and a loss here, again, would just shrink the margin a ton. Think about it this way, too. Either team that loses, it forces a tremendous reset mentally. 
Because like I said, both teams, they got their eye on the prize now, conference title and go play for a, a college football playoff berth. That is both these teams' goals in their respective conferences. You lose your first game of the year? Whoa. Okay, we're walking the tightrope now. We, now we really got to pick it up here. Now we really got to play our game. The, 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 the mulligan is gone. So this is absolutely a playoff game, and I'm excited to see it. Neutral site should be a blast. And uh, yeah, don't, don't let them tell you it's not a playoff game. We got a playoff game week one of the regular season. Shout out everybody tuned in live. Shout out everybody on podcast. We love y'all, man. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following me on Twitter. Make sure you're following me on Instagram, at JD Piquel. All right, we appreciate y'all for that. Moving right along here. Another playoff game. How long do we got to wait? Seven days. From one playoff game to another, you got to wait seven days. Because week two, you got Texas going to Tuscaloosa Saturday, September 9th. Last year, everybody and their mama was calling Alabama rolling into Austin and blowing the brakes off the Longhorns. And what happened? A one-point Alabama victory. It was a close one. I think it'll be close again, actually, this coming season. Very, very much so hope that the hard count is on the road and at this game. More details on that in the future, but just a little nugget for you, something to chew on. Hope the hard count's out this game. Uh, Alabama, after Texas, they still have Tennessee. They have LSU, the Iron Bowl. You're saying, what about Auburn? You kidding me? We're talking about Auburn being a threat to Alabama? Listen, y'all, college football rivalries, they do not make sense to me, and they don't make sense to anybody because they have no logic to them. Alabama, should they lose this game, It'll be a narrative game. Let's put a pin in that. It'll be a narrative game for Alabama. In the same way, it'll be a narrative game for Texas because the Big 12 is the Big 12 and it's gladiator, knockdown, drag out style every single week, but it's a narrative game for Texas as well. Here's what you're going to hear if Texas wins this football game. Again, only week two of the college football season. Still got 10 more games to play or 10 more weeks rather to play it out. Here's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear, man, Texas is back. Hook them, baby. 40 acres with the good times are here again. Let's roll, boys. Let's roll. Texas is back. You're also going to hear, man, Alabama, we knew it. Everybody was saying it all year long. Everybody was saying it all offseason long. Tyler Buckner, who? Tommy Reese, what? Nick Saban's lost his touch. Alabama down bad. We all knew it, boys. It's only week two. Only week two. Now, the other thing you'll hear, if Alabama wins, you're going to hear, man, same old Texas. Same old Texas. Same old all that talent, underachieving Texas. Guess Steve Sarkeesian wasn't the guy. You'll also hear, man, Alabama, we ain't going nowhere. We're not going anywhere. We're here to stay. Nick Saban has lost no juice. What I'm trying to say is the narrative is going to boom so far either way, regardless of the result for either team. I just want to sort of get out ahead of that and tell you it's going to be week two. It's going to be week two. So we're not making statements on either of these teams based on how this game shakes out. I don't know that we have you know, a definition on either team, whether Texas wins or Alabama wins. It'd be a big deal now for both teams. It'd be a big deal to win this game. But it's a playoff game in the sense that the, the rest of the slate is so tough for both these teams. For both these teams, it's so tough. So it's a playoff game in the sense that same thing I just said with LSU and Florida State, you lose your mulligan. But the narrative around this game, I just want us to be careful around how we approach it. Okay? But a playoff game nonetheless. So let's go back now. We're going to skip week three. Not that we're skipping week three because there's not great games. I think there is great games in week three. And I promise you there'll be something to talk about when week three gets here. But let's talk about week four. I want to go back to Florida State. 
So let's say they, let's just say Florida State fans do not get upset with me here. I'm playing out a scenario, hypothetical scenario. We're not picking this game. Let's say that Florida State ends up dropping to LSU. Close game, back and forth, Jaden Daniels and company, they end up getting it done. So Florida State rolls into Death Valley to play Clemson week four, Saturday, September 23rd, with one loss. And their back is up against the wall now. For Florida State, this would be the last ACC hurdle, foreseeably at least. And if they want to play for the college football playoff, and I promise you the good folks in Tallahassee do, I have it on good authority, they want to play in the college football playoff, shocker, they can get in there with one loss. You lose two, you lose two games, chances are few and far between. No two lost teams ever made the dance, okay? So for Florida State, this is big for their ACC hopes, but for their college football playoff hopes, again, what this whole segment is about, it's a very, very big deal. So in terms of them being able to play for the ACC title, if they were to beat LSU and they were to drop this game, yes, they're still on the hunt, but you don't want to pass your destiny off to somebody else's hands, right? Never want to do that. You want to hang on to your own destiny. For Clemson, this would put them on the ropes should they lose this game because they still have to play Notre Dame to play North Carolina. They go to South Carolina when they lost to South Carolina at home a season ago. Schedule is brutal. The gauntlet is the epitome of brutal for both these teams. You're going to figure out exactly what the rest of your slate looks like. But for Florida State, again, this, I mean, by week four, if they don't take care of business in week one and they lose to Clemson, like that could be all she wrote, man. And the hype trains off the tracks and the conversation around Florida State making the college football playoff, that conversation dies down substantially. Like this is a playoff game. This is a playoff game. I promise you, this is going to determine exactly the course for them when it comes to making that final four on selection Sunday. So this will be a whole lot of fun. Now, in that exact same week, week four, got another playoff game for you. This is the fourth playoff game I want to talk about in the month of September. And another one I hope we're at, either Clemson, Florida State, or Ohio State, Notre Dame. I hope we're at one of these games. Ohio State going to South Bend to play Notre Dame. And we're going to learn a lot about both these teams very early on. Because if Notre Dame loses this, this game, this playoff game, their college football playoff hopes, in my opinion, are somewhere between deceased and on life support. Because remember now, Notre Dame, when conference championship weekend rolls around, guess what they're doing? Chilling on the couch, watching it. They're not in a conference. And we've seen a couple of times that can bite Notre Dame should they not be in position with a clean slate, chilling, waiting for whoever ends up playing them in the college football playoff. So, if they drop this game, it is very, very bad news. It's not novel analysis. Notre Dame needs to win this game. Now, for Ohio State, breaking a new quarterback, whether it's Devin Brown or Kyle McCord, this is early enough in their season to where I think the psyche of this team, should they drop it, could be at risk because you still got to play Wisconsin at Wisconsin. You got to play Penn State. Got to go to Michigan, a team that you failed to beat now in two tries the last two years. Like, stakes are high in this one. Either way, if you drop this game for either team, you lose control of your destiny. But for Ohio State to have one loss and to stare Penn State, Wisconsin, and Michigan in the face, I don't feel great about that. With a first-year quarterback, I don't like that one bit. So for Ohio State, best case, you have no room to breathe. Worst case, you need some help should you drop this game. So to recap it for you, September, 
has four college football playoff games from, from where I'm sitting. You got LSU and Florida State week one. You got Texas at Bama week two. You got Florida State going to Death Valley to play Clemson in week four. And then that very same day, you got Ohio State going to South Bend to play Sam Hartman and company at Notre Dame. So those are the college football playoff games of the month of September. I hope we're at at least half of those, but we'll see how this whole thing shakes out. That's why college football is the best sport in the world, man. I tell you what, the best sport in this entire country. It's because every single week, every single Saturday, you wake up, and by the time you go to bed that night, your team's playoff hopes, your team's postseason hopes could look drastically different. That's why I love it. That's why we love it. Okay, make sure you're getting your questions right now to the, to the chat. Uh, we got one more segment here, Nick Breakkeeper of the Q. Going to be getting after it here in just a few short moments. If you're on podcast, man, we love y'all. We love y'all to death because there's some reason why you're not able to watch live on YouTube and you're babysitting the kids. Maybe you're out for a walk. Maybe you're walking the dog. Whatever you're doing, you're finding a way to make us a part of your day. So we appreciate y'all for that. Y'all really about that life if you're listening on podcast. All right, one more segment here. Make sure you get in your questions to the chat. Again, can be college football related, primarily college football related, but we've, we've been known to take a non-college football question or two, huh, Nick? All right, let's keep this thing rolling here. Auburn landed Peyton Thorne to likely be their starting quarterback for the 2023 season. Don't think that's really a secret. I think it'll be a quarterback battle. I think Robbie Ashford is going to go in there and fight for his job, but I believe that Peyton Thorne, the Michigan State transfer, is going to be your starter when it comes to game one for Auburn. And so there's a lot of hype around Peyton Thorne now going to be QB1 on the planes and what Jordan Hare could look like when he gets there and all the excitement around Hugh Freeze in his first year there. But now what? Right? Like the, the fanfare is going to slowly but surely wear off. You're going to have summer conditioning. You're going to get to fall camp. Now what? What does this really mean for Auburn? The first thing for me is I think it means you have direction. You got a steady pair of hands driving your offense, an experienced steady pair of hands driving your offense. Peyton Thorne, quarterback in the 11-win football team. Carr went a little bit more off the rails last season for Michigan State, but he's a two-year starter, a two-year captain. And what was the frustration last year for Auburn so frequently? What was it that really just, just chapped your lips, needing some Burt Bees? It was the lack of consistency you got from the quarterback position. I love Robbie Ashford. I've said it before. But as a passer, it was 49% on completion percentage. That ain't winning football, man. That's not winning football. Seven touchdowns, seven interceptions. I understand he ran for seven touchdowns as well, but he also put the ball on the ground nine times. Like that's, that's beside the point. What I'm saying is you now have some more consistency, some more experience behind center with Peyton Thorne as your quarterback. So why does that matter? Well, now if you have some consistency at the quarterback position, that likely translates to some more consistency on the offense, which means we kind of know what we have offensively, which means we kind of start to be able to set our expectations accordingly. And when you set expectations for Auburn, with Robbie Ashford playing quarterback, you weren't really sure where to put him because you might get good Robbie one week, you might get not so good Robbie the next week. With Peyton Thorne now, the line in Vegas, or the number in Vegas rather, for the over-under win total for Auburn is six and a half wins. Pretty decent, right? You're winning seven games if you're Auburn. I'll take that all day long if I'm an Auburn fan. You're setting the floor now probably a little bit closer to six games. I'm not saying the floor is six games. I'm saying it's closer to six games than it was before you got Peyton Thorne likely to be your starting quarterback. There's a lot that hinges on this, but 
the fact that you kind of have an idea, you can kind of make out the picture of what your offense is going to be and by process of elimination there, make out what your team's going to be, that's exciting. Direction, steady hands, leadership is what Peyton Thorne brings to the table here, something that I think is crucial for Auburn as they are in a state of flux. The roster has had a lot of turnover. You brought in a lot of guys through the portal. You're, you're one of a new system. It's no secret. Auburn is trying to find their footing. You have a starting quarterback now that's played the position at a relatively high level, 49 touchdowns, over 6,000 yards in his career. You feel good about the direction now for Auburn football. It can start to set expectations. So I want to talk some ball here in a second, but y'all make sure you're subscribed. Go ahead and throw this video a like for us. We appreciate you in advance for that. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram at JD Paquel. So as I was saying, let's talk some ball. If I know anything about our audience, y'all just love ball. That's why you're here in May. So we thank you for that. But with Peyton Thorne being your quarterback, to me, it's a lot like putting the right kind of fuel in your car. Things just work. Things just work better, rather. When you put the right kind of fuel in your car, the right kind of gas, everything within the car starts to operate effectively, starts to operate how it should operate. And what I mean by that is when you have Peyton Thorne playing quarterback, you feel, you feel better about your run game. Why? Because your backfield, and you love your backfield, you should love your backfield. Damari Alston, Jarquez Hunter, one of the, the best one-two punches in the country, I believe. Your backfield's only as good as the complement you're able to have with the pass game. Because think about it this way. If I'm a defensive coordinator, and I know your quarterback ain't doing nothing against me, he's not even a threat to throw the football, guess what I'm doing? Hey, let's go ahead and put eight in the box. Hey, let's go ahead and stack the trenches for us here. Hey, they're running the football. That's all they can do against us. We're not worried about throwing the football with them. We're not worried about the aerial attack. Well, then I get to focus my attention on Jarquez Hunter and Damari Alston, right? But now with Peyton Thorne, I'm a defensive coordinator saying, okay, we probably got to allocate some to the pass game here because that quarterback, he's capable. And that's less attention on your backfield. Things work better. Also, the defense should be improved. Not just because he did some nice things through the portal. Not just because he got the number six ranked portal class. I'm saying this because think about how often that Auburn defense went to the sideline after getting a stop, got some power rate. I think they're a power rate school as Auburn. Something to drink, get a towel, try and cool off. And then within like a few minutes, somebody on the sidelines yelling, defense ready, defense ready. You're saying, are you kidding me? We were just out there. Because Auburn converted on third down 35% of the time last year. That's good for 94th in the country. Rather, it's not good for 94th in the country. It's bad for 94th in the country. So as a defense, to not have to consistently get on and off the field and be left out there for a bunch of snaps, I mean, that wears on a defense. You can only play a solid series so long before you start to get tired and worn out. And I'm just saying for Peyton Thorne now to give this offense more direction and likely to improve that third down number, which I think him and Philip Montgomery and Hugh Freeze will all have a hand in doing, you feel better about your defense. It's complimentary football. Things start to work the way they should. Your defense isn't built to be out there every 10 minutes. It's supposed to be out there for one series, and your offense puts together a series, and they get to rest and reset and look at what they were doing wrong. That's how complimentary football works. The right fuel in the car, the right quarterback in the system, the team starts to function how it should. The gears start to turn a little bit more cohesively. That cannot be overstated in terms of the importance for Auburn in 2023. Also, the offensive line. Heck, let's take it a step further. The offensive line. You've retooled the O-line. 
you knew you weren't good enough last year on the O-line. Hugh Freeze did. That's why I went and brought three new transfer portal offensive line in there. Now, instead of having to block for four seconds, three and a half seconds, Peyton Thorne, I told you, quick processor. We love that about him. One, two step, balls out. Mesh, balls out. We're not having to hold blocks for an extended period of time. We just give him a little bit of time. We do our job. We do what's asked of us. Offense runs how it should. Then we have more energy to run block. And then when that play does break down later in the drive and we need to pick it up when we're scrambling for yards on fourth and two, then our offensive line has a little more juice to you know, ad-lib. Everything starts to work better when you have a quarterback who fits your system, who is steady hands, who allows us to keep this thing on schedule. I'm telling you, it's going to make all the difference in the world for Auburn. You may not see that first, but that's what's going to eventually happen for Auburn. I'm not calling Auburn to win the SEC. I'm not calling Auburn to just blow past that six and a half win mark. We'll talk about that on Thursday. But I do think this is important for Auburn in terms of the trajectory and overall cohesion within complementary football for this team. Okay. So with that being said, Auburn fans, you're not going to like this. With that being said, it's not, it's, it's never fun. There's two large variables on this all going right. Okay, because same thing with Peyton Thorne being able to play his game, you got to have some other pieces of this offense fit correctly. We're sticking with the ball talk here, all right? Is the offensive line as fixed as we think? That is large variable number one, okay? The offensive line, we just talked about it, wasn't good enough last year. If you can't give Peyton Thorne time, if Peyton Thorne isn't able to even get through his own reads, I told you he's a quick processor, but if we're not even able to give him time to, to get to the first read, we have real problems. Then we have real problems, okay? Because the SEC will eat you alive if you're not good enough in the trenches. Hugh Freeze knows that. I think he took that into account when he went and got the players he did, so I think they're good fits. But I'm just saying, is the offensive line as fixed as we think it is? If it is, great. Moot point. If it's not, then we start to have other conversations around how can we get Peyton Thorne rolling out some more? Do we call a little bit more quick game? Do we speed it up even more? It's a bad world to live in. So that's the first large variable. Is the offensive line as fixed as we think it is? Second large variable, and this might even be the biggest variable. Can wide, recep can, can wide receivers step up how we need them to? Can pass catchers step up how we need them to? Because same thing I was saying, the run game, can only be as good as the pass game is to complement it. And you got the quarterback to do it, but you have somebody to put pressure on the secondary. Can Nick Mardner be that guy? Can Rivaldo Fairweather the tight end position? He transferred in from FIU. Can he be that guy? Coy Moore, can he be that guy? Like, there has to be somebody here that steps up and puts pressure on the secondary. There's got to be somebody here for Peyton Thorne to throw to. And Camden Brown, I think, is one of those guys to really watch. He's probably my pick, actually, to end up being wide receiver one. They've raved about him since he got on campus as a freshman. He looks exactly how you'd want a wide receiver one to look, about six foot two, six foot three, two ten, two fifteen, can run. Like you're excited about Camden Brown. He's raw. But what I'm trying to tell you is somebody in this wide receiver room needs to step up for Peyton Thorne to throw the football to, to maximize the potential and the ability that you have now with Peyton Thorne at your quarterback position. Because those things kind of feed off each other, right? You don't have to be elite. You don't have to be all world, but good enough to where that's still a threat within our offense. Okay? So with Peyton Thorne, stage is set. The stage is set. You got steady hands on the wheel with Auburn. You can now set some more expectations for them, having some more things that you feel better about within Auburn's offense and as a whole their team. It's going to help everybody. 
the playmakers, the defense, the offensive line. It's going to help everybody, but we still need the offensive line to be better than last year and be as improved as we think they are with those new transfer portal, uh, transfer portal offensive linemen to help our quarterback. And the pass catchers, man, got to have somebody step up. Don't have to be all world. Got to be good enough to make Peyton Thorne's ability pay dividends. So I'm excited to see it. Again, the over-under win total is at six and a half wins. We'll talk about that on Thursday's live show. But for Auburn now, you got some direction with Peyton Thorne likely being your starting quarterback for game one. Appreciate everybody tuned in live right now, man. We're about to go to the keeper of the queue. Bill's Mafia member, pride of Owensboro, Kentucky. Pretty much every nickname in the book. The man, the myth, the legend, Nick Brake. Nick, how up, we man? doing, big dog? Pretty good. We've got some questions. Um, this first one, first and foremost, uh, thank you very much for the super chats. Um, I don't want to say your name wrong. Caleb or Caleb, if you don't mind responding in the, in the chat. Um, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to keep saying it wrong if it is, but he asked two questions. Uh, first one, morning, boys. Uh, question, in the pure magic of college football, who are you going to take going 9-3 and three this season, Colorado or Auburn, and which one's more likely to lay an egg? Golly, who am I more who who am I more likely to take nine and three? To to be real with you, I don't know that I would take either team to go nine and three, just because they're both you know in such a rebuild phase. It's a good question though. I think Auburn, with having a little bit more of an established roster, from what I can tell, I think the rebuild isn't nearly as drastic as what Coach Prime's doing in Colorado. I'll lean Auburn, but Colorado's gonna be fun to watch over over the next couple of years in terms of their trajectory. Trajectory, rather. Uh, we're going to find out a lot about Coach Prime in Colorado in year one, just in terms of how far off they are, um, or how far off they are from getting to where they want to be, rather. But I'll lean Auburn for right now. Um, what was the other question part of that? Who's more likely to lay an egg? You know, th there's just there's, there's no data on Coach Prime at Colorado. I have stood here and told you I think it's going to work. I think it's going to take some time. But for 2023, he's putting together a roster of like 70 new guys. Okay, so there's just there's no data point for me to really go off of. And then his quarterback, as good as I think he is, as good as he looked in the spring game, we haven't seen him play FBS football yet. Same thing with Travis Hunter. I have no doubts about them. I'm just saying seeing it in a game is is my only reservation. So for that reason, I'll lean Auburn to go nine and three. If I had to pick one of those teams, and I'll lean Colorado to be the team that lays an egg is a harsh word. I'll say it takes more time at Colorado, which we've been saying here for a while, Nick. I think if you can win four games this year at Colorado, that'd be phenomenal. That'd be a great place to start. That's a three-win improvement from last year. Like, roll party for the good people in Boulder. So, tell how I feel about that one, but a great question by uh, Caleb. Caleb. Um, Caleb. 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 Okay. Sorry, yeah, sorry, Caleb. Beautiful. Uh, he said I got Beautiful. Appreciate the love, Caleb, and appreciate yeah. you adding to the chat. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, yeah, keep them coming, y'all. Got a second one from him. Love um, it. Who's your Cinderella quarterback for the 2023 season as of right now that you think nobody's really talking about? Probably Austin Reed, WKU. Man. Austin Reed at WKU, <laughs> huh? That's your guy, Nick. He was in a top 10 uh, I saw on Twitter yesterday. And I was like, well, I mean, that's a stretch. But I don't think he's better than Jaden Daniels or J.J. McCarthy that were outside of the top 10. Man, the scouts love him. It's funny. It's, it's hard to say someone who, who's not being talked about. Because when I read this question, my immediate thought was Tyler Buckner. And it's not that he's not being talked about. It's just think about the situation he's walking into where a lot of people are saying, oh, it's just because Tommy Reese is there. You know, he's, he's you know, uh, the epitome of, of what Alabama is right now. They're just kind of scratching and clawing, trying to find a quarterback. Like, 
How Cinderella-esque would it be for Tyler Buckner to step in there and lead Alabama to an SEC title? Like, I think that would be a Cinderella story in a lot of ways. Didn't win the job at Notre Dame, got a lot of heat when he came to Alabama. I think there'd be a Cinderella story in there, as funny as it sounds, for Tyler Buckner to lead Alabama to an SEC title. Um, another, Another Cinderella story quarterback that comes to mind here, Nick, I think Dylan Gabriel is another guy to look at. I mean, last year, actually, I got, I got, I could go a couple places here in the Big 12. I think Dylan Gabriel's one. He got a lot of heat from last year, even though I think he had a pretty decent year, even though Oklahoma had a better year than a lot of people want to give credit for. Um, I think Blake Shapin from Baylor, as well as Chandler Morris from TCU, both those guys have been slept on quite a bit, even though they've flashed different times. One of them ends up winning the Big 12. Who knows? So, those are a couple of names for you that you didn't really ask for, but I think Tyler Buckner's the most Cinderella-esque. Uh, I'll go ahead and lean towards Chandler Morris at TCU being the one that not, that's not getting enough buzz right now, even though TCU made the playoff a year ago, Nick. Okay. Yeah, lots of great questions coming in. Um, I'll keep getting to them. Kay, uh, always asking great questions. Who will be the new Cincinnati or king of the group of five teams? This is a very good question. And, Nick, you, you saw the lower third we had for this. We almost talked about the new Big 12. Yep. A school that I am really fascinated by, and I think is a tremendous opportunity, is UCF. Because UCF now sits in one of the most, if not the most, talent-rich states in all of America when it comes to high school recruiting. And they upgraded from G5 branding to Power 5 branding in that state. And also, they've been winning for a minute here, Nick. Like, Gus Malzahn's had that thing headed the right direction. They almost made a New Year's Six Bowl this past season. So with Gus Malzahn running the show there, a guy who's been to the SEC, who's won at an elite level, who knows what it takes to win in the Power Five, and now UCF up in their game and be able to go to recruits and say, you want to come play for another Power Five school in this beautiful state of Florida? Miami's figuring it out. Florida's figuring it out. Florida State's their own thing. But you want to come be a part of a new thing in this state? I think UCF and their recruiting pitch right now is in a very advantageous spot. And so I, I would keep a very, very close eye on them as they enter into their first year in the Big 12. I really think UCF is a dangerous team to watch for the rest of the Big 12 because remember the two most talented rosters now with Oklahoma and Texas, they leave after this year. UCF could make some noise. So I'll keep an eye on UCF there, Nick. I think that's what the most fascinating team in the G5 right now. Okay. Um, this next question is coming. This is a question I think Jimmy S. asks this a lot, uh, but we never, I guess I don't ask it. To you, uh, what are your thoughts on the Texas running back room with Bijan and Roshan gone? It's a great question. I think, you know, I think it's, for lack of a better word, I think it's solid. Um, I don't have reservations as to if they'll be able to run the football. I just wonder who's kind of going to be that bell cow. You've heard a lot about Jonathan Brooks. Jaden Blue gets a lot of buzz whenever this question comes up. C.J. Baxter is one guy that I think is actually going to be pretty solidly in the rotation when things get rolling here in the fall, whether it's week one or week six. I think he's a guy that factors in um, Keelan Robinson. So there, there's a lot of names um, in terms of who's going to like be the guy. I don't, I don't know that you're going to have a guy just you know be far and away the bell cow like Bijan was or like Roshan Johnson was. Um, I do think Keelan Robinson will carry a lot of the of the load mm -hmm. and I think Cedric Baxter CJ Baxter I guess they're calling him now short yardage will, will be a guy as well so doesn't really answer your question but I think if you're a Texas fan the good news is it's going to be by committee so you're going to have fresh legs 
You're going to have different backs can do a lot of things. I even mentioned Savian Red, a guy they've raved about all spring, can do a lot for you out of the backfield. Um, they're going to have a lot of options. And so for Texas, just know this, options is a good thing. Just because you don't see one guy with 1,000 yards at the end of the year, which you very well could, but if you don't, doesn't mean Texas didn't still run the football really effectively. And that's going to be crucial for them in this offense. So, Yep. Good question, Jimmy. Um, this next one coming from Loren McGee. What if an undefeated team in the Big Ten plays an 8-4 team in, the, in 2024, I'm assuming in the conference championship, uh, would that 8-4 team get the automatic bid into the playoff because they won the conference? So do you think we could have hmm. a four-loss team? Like, let's say if Purdue won, Sure. I guess, against sure. Michigan. So the only, the only issue with that scenario is the Big Ten is doing away with divisions. So mm-hmm. if there were That's ever true. a scenario where a four-loss team was like second place in the Big Ten, I would, I would wonder what else happened to the rest of the Big Ten. Um, but in this scenario, let's, let's play this out. Let's say a team does end up playing in, in, in the conference title game with multiple losses. I'm trying to think who would still even have that kind of scenario. I guess it could be the SEC. ACC's doing away with divisions. Regardless of what you're trying to say, so, so that scenario holds true. If, an, if a four-loss team wins the conference in the conference title game and beats an undefeated team, well, then that undefeated team, you would imagine, then draws an at-large bid, and the other team would draw one of the automatic qualifiers. Um, so that's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, it's, it's a fair question, but again, I don't know how that would work with the Big Ten doing away with divisions here in 2024. Yeah. Also, USC and UCLA joins the party, Nick. UCLA and USC is going to be fun to watch. That's true. Good point. Um, Next question. This one from Swag Time. Um, LSU-Tennessee comparisons. Like another one of those. Who if... Okay, this is worded really weird. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Another LSU-Tennessee comparison. Who if either do you feel have a better chance at the national championships playoffs in the next three to four years? So Mm. who do you think... um, Maybe besides Tennessee, LSU, I guess, do you think could be a playoff team in three to four years, J.D.? Sure. Well, Nick, is this, you is throw this your burner? Are you swag time? I'm not swag time. Feel like you're swag time. Am I, am they I write like there? it's me, though. That's how I write, too. Uh, but you know what, J.D., Oklahoma, Texas, if it's three to four seasons, it's a pretty easy answer, right? I mean, well, I, th- I think the question, if I'm hearing this right, it oh, was oh. who between those two projects better. Is that is that correct in, in that assumption, Nick? Um, swag time. If you're in here, we're going to come back to this question. Can you, um, can you clarify that? Um, and we'll, we'll ask that in just a second. Um, Nick, we'll, we'll come back. Like I said, Kirk Jones asks, how will Hudson Card do at Purdue? We'll go to that first. I like Hudson Card to Purdue. I really, I think Me he gets too. a bad rap from what he did at Texas. I think he's very capable. I think he brings some mobility for the most part, a good decision maker. I, I like Hudson Card at Purdue. I think he makes them a fascinating situation with their first year they're under Walter in terms of three but Nick let's let's just answer that question as if it were to be okay Tennessee and LSU if he's asking like hey who of those two teams is going to mm-hmm. project better it's a great question I lean LSU simply because of what I know to be true about Brian Kelly and his track record of winning and then recruiting within the state of Louisiana yeah. now to the exact same token Josh Heupel is an absolute wizard. So I wouldn't bet against either of them being teams that end up making that extend, expanded playoff here in the near future. Just Brian Kelly's resume, and Tennessee fans don't get up in arms, Brian Kelly's resume, for my money, I just know more about him as a coach. A longer track record of winning has won everywhere he's went, and now he gets armed with SEC 
recruiting power and recruiting in Louisiana. Like, I mean, they, they made the title game his first year there. So I'll say LSU right now, but I think both teams will definitely be in that race. So Tennessee fans worry not. Wait, you interpreted right. Swag time is going to, in fact, transfer to one of the schools. So I guess wanting to know which one they should go to Interesting. based on the football. Hey, that's a good way to live. There it is. Congratulations man. on transferring. Uh, you can either come here to Tennessee or you're going to, to Louisiana. Imagine um, swag time is Joe Burrow or the equivalent of Joe <laughs> yeah. Burrow. And we just, yeah, decided, we just decided LSU's fate yeah. for the next couple of years. They, yeah. just, got their, some, they just got themselves yeah. Joe Burrow. Hey, look. Tennessee LSU fans, if you're in here, uh, try to tell Swag Time why they should go to your school. Um, we is, got man. you time for one more. One more, baby. Let's bring okay. it home. Well, we'll ask Briley's question. Came first, but shout out to Peyton Owens for asking a question. Jimmy Satterfield asked a question um, as well. That's so, your guy. But, but Briley, uh, Bama, UGA, OSU, Michigan. Who stumbles first this season? I feel like Bama's probably the safest answer. Golly, man. I, I really – so I think Ohio State-Notre Dame is going to be fascinating. You and I have talked about this off the air up in the office, Nick, about how of an intriguing game that could be for Notre Dame, finding out about them. I think the fact that Texas draws Bama week two just – or by Bama drawing Texas week two, I suppose, at home, just by nature of tougher games, I'm going to go ahead and say Bama just because I think they're going to be the team that's tested first. Um, and that's not to say that I don't think Bama will still end up being in that conversation on Selection Sunday. I'm not buying the narrative that Nick Saban's down. I'm not buying the, the narrative that he's lost his touch or that Bama isn't going to be in the mix. I definitely think they will. But if we're playing the odds here, I think Bama has the toughest test earliest. So we'll say Bama for the sake of this conversation. But, Nick, I appreciate you, man, making this whole thing happen, brother. We'll mm -hmm. see you again Thursday. You'll see me Tuesday, man. I'll be... I'll be visiting my sister on Thursday. Okay. Well, you, sell, you tell your sister we said hello. I sure will. And we'll see you again Tuesday, brother. I sure will. Folks, we will still be on the air Thursday morning. We'll find a way to make it happen. The show must go on. But Nick Brick making everything that you see here happen. The keeper of the queue. Heavy lifter extraordinaire. Man does it all. So we appreciate him immensely for that. Appreciate y'all enormously for being locked in. Everyone on YouTube, we love y'all now. Make sure you like the video on your way out. Make sure you subscribe on your way out because we don't want y'all to miss a week of coming down the pipe here. It's 110 plus days till college football. We don't take breaks around here. Y'all don't take, take breaks in terms of being fans of this beautiful sport. We're talking about this in May and you're locked in and we're locked in, man. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. All right, now we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling and we will see y'all next time. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.